Well, hey, thanks for joining us. And we are, I mean, you just, if you want to know about the church fathers, if you want to know about church history, <laughs> you have come to the right place. We are, you, you have two extreme professionals about to take you through origin mm. and against Celsius. So stay on the line. Professor Nick Cleveley, how are you doing today? Yes, uh, Dr. Mike Beck. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I feel very well versed in origin. I feel I'm ready to take this oh, on today. Totally, completely. Um, we are yeah. we are looking at origin against Celsus, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know who origin is. I almost have no <laughs> idea who Celsus is. <laughs> um, I know we're looking at like what. 250, 80, somewhere yeah, around 248-ish, 250-ish, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so we're moving on. Um, and again, let's just restate the goal over here. We're, um, we're two pastors just diving into some church, uh, early church literature, and just getting some classics out there. The, re- the reality is no one dives into this stuff because no one actually knows what's going on, you know, and that's the mm. reason no one dives in. It's this vicious circle. And so let's just break that circle, people. Let's just get right in there. And um, I've been encouraged by a few <laughs> comments along the way that people are just digging the, you know, they're just, just hearing the stuff, basically. It's like kind of a glorified audible, except, yeah. you know, you get the amazing. Much better. Yeah, much, much better because you get these amazing comments that uh, both Nick and I come away from every session going, wow, I never, <laughs> I never knew I knew that. It feels like inspiration because I just wasn't thinking those thoughts until they came out of my mouth. <laughs> Almost like so. a, like a charismatic seed thought, you know. Just I reckon, yeah. yeah, it's like a prophecy of sorts. So hold on to your seats. This is going to be amazing. Um, yeah. All right, origin against self. So what do we know? What yeah? What do we know about or, origin? Okay, I know I know a little bit about origin. I mean, origin was hardcore. He was uh, he was the guy who might have you know castrated himself. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that that is open to uh, question. Yes, it because, seem uh, to, yeah. I've always been confused as to why he would do that if he was the big spiritualist, you know, the big allegorist. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I mean, like at the one point you would want to hold on to allegory at, you know, uh, <laughs> why would you go literal at that point? You know, so I don't know. It just it just exactly. seems like it, it it doesn't really connect with with the rest of his work. But that said, um, of course, he he moved through the Decian persecution, and uh, he mm-hmm. was severely tortured. And uh, I mean, his father was was martyred, I believe, and and so you know, I mean, you know, gangster respect for anyone that goes through that. Um, yep. He did. He didn't deny the faith. A, yeah, also a serious scholar of the Old Testament. Yeah, that's uh, he, right. He put together the Hexapla. Is that what it's called? Yeah, what's six, that Six parallel oh, versions right, of the right. Old Testament. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I knew that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. And the thing is, like, uh, there's something else he was, uh, you know, just even, um, I think it was uh, the way we think of, exp- I remember doing a, a major study a while back, a bit fuzzy on the details now. But I remember being stunned by the fact that um, that as this uh, study took you through the history of preaching, um, it basically attributed origin or the, the the way that we would commonly preach today, you know, with our expository sort of main point application kind of idea, uh, all mm. comes from origin, uh, pretty much. 
that, that that's the yeah. closest we can find. So that's amazing, you know. Yes. Um, and uh, he was he's famous for allegorizing the text. Yep, he is, of course. And his his attempts at allegorization were not an attempt to get away from the meaning of scripture, but to uphold the fact that the Bible is God's word and has this depth to it. Yeah. So his he was complimenting the word of God with allegorization, not trying to detract from it. Right, right. That's a, that's so, a big point. And he was, I mean, yeah. the obvious thing for him is he was this massive <laughs> Neoplatonist as well. Um, yeah. I mean, he studied under the, the, the top dogs of the day. And, um, and so obviously, you know, Platonism permeates his thinking. And so I think that probably would have had something to do with his desire to dig in um, you know, deeply and uh, find ways to, well, almost like the, the very thing that appealed to uh, Augustine and Anselm, you know, coming from that sort of vibe, I suppose they just felt that there was something to it um, in mm. ways that we don't really consider today. Um, yep. So also, that, also famous for uh, being charged with the doctrine of universalism. Yes. Did he that, actually? Uh, how, how did, what happened there? Did he get? Did he get kicked so, out? So he was or? charged by saying that you know even one day the devil would would be saved. Right. And, and I know there's a little bit of debate around a, that too. Like there as is, to, and it's probably overstatement. See, the thing is with with Origen is he was he had a strong view of free will. He was not a predestinarian, mm -hmm. and so he didn't believe that the devil was predestined to hell. He believed that the devil, yeah, if he wanted it. to, yeah. could repent and mm. could be saved. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where the sort of the idea of salvation of the yeah. devil ultimately getting saved comes in. It was a free will thing, totally. Yeah, yeah, free will yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay, I remember that now. Yeah, um, good. And and he, um, uh, so he was. I mean, did he was he did he go down as a heretic at the end of it? I can't remember how that story ended. At some point, he did. Yes. Okay. So a, a later later councils condemned his writings so how did he make it into the i mean how are we reading his stuff right now if he got <laughs> did it get overturned uh, or so, so one one of his one of his greatest students is athanasius right so yeah for, for reasons like that he continues to live I on suppose, yeah. he was a genius he wrote thousands of like they, they reckon about six thousand different pieces not Amazing. all of them have endured just an yeah. absolute genius yeah because a lot of it um, got got totally um taken out by their fire didn't it or yep. am i thinking of someone else was that him are you thinking of the uh the library of alexandria yes didn't didn't yeah, um, possibly. i know we i think we lost most of his stuff um but um oh yeah because this whole thing against this um this guy uh Celsus, <laughs> you know the only reason we know who that is is because it basically gets reconstructed out of out of his writings um okay. Yeah, so I think we, we're not working with a lot. I'm just having a quick skim here. Um, Celsus's work has been lost. All right, but Origen quotes it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Nothing about losing Origen's work itself. But um, what I do see, uh, uh, which is interesting, is that uh, it's largely his, this work that we're about to read a quote uh, or a sampling of is considered to be more sophisticated than anything Justin or Tertullian or any of those guys came up with, and yeah. um, and really, you know, he he was uh, regarded as the equal of his pagan <laughs> philosopher contemporaries, and um, and and really, what you have here and against Celsus, which is this basic apologetic for Christianity that doesn't it doesn't sort of 
repeat any of those preceding arguments, but it, it basically kind of comes up with this really intense new apo apologetic that that uh, totally deals with what, what the uh, detractors were saying and apparently is really only regarded as being surpassed by Augustine's massive city of God. So that's it, you know. Um, yeah. You know, that, that puts it into perspective. It's not just some random letter that we're reading. It is kind of, you know, it's his best work in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so Celsus was, um, he probably wrote at the end of the second century. Right. Um, so although this is mid third century, um, it wasn't very popular. And one of his, one of his main patrons, Ambrose, came across it and asked him to write against it. So that's right. the reason why he's writing. Right. And um, so basically you've got a very sophisticated, not terribly good philosopher, but um, basically the, the accusation from Celsus is that Christianity is, is going to cause a moral decline as it erodes conservative religion. Mm. And so Origen is making a response to, to the various criticisms, and it seems that Celsus was leaning on some other sources, like some some majorly informed Jewish critics of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so Origen has to, throughout, throughout the book, he just takes on each of the arguments point by point. And the chapters we are looking at <clears throat> are chapters where he basically shows how the Old Testament prophesies about Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still a very well used uh, yeah. argument in apologetics today. That's true. Yeah. yeah. All righty. Good. Well, that sounds good. Um, who wants to open up? You kick it off. All righty. So 49. we're looking at uh, what is this? Book three, chapter 49. I think that's the way. Or would it be chapter yeah. three? It's book, right? Book three? Book three, chapter 49. Yeah, okay, good. I just see three, column 49. So if you are trying to find this um, online, I don't know. Did you get it online, uh, online Nick? Or? I just got it in my complete anti-Nicene and Nicene and post-Nicene Church Fathers collection. Cool, and you can get that online, so go, go check that out. Um, all right, here we go. Um, this statement of Celsus is also untrue. That is only foolish and low individuals, persons devoid of perceptions, slaves, women, and children that enter the, uh, that sorry, the teachers of the divine word wish to convert. Such people the gospel does indeed invite in order to make them better, but it also invites those who are very different, since Christ is the savior of all men and especially of those that believe. One Timothy four ten, whether they be intelligent or simple, he is the propitiation with the Father for our sins, and not only uh, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In light of this, there is no need for us to respond to questions of Celsus like the following. Why is it an evil to have been educated and to have studied the best teachings and to have both the reality and appearance of wisdom? Uh, or what hindrance does this offer to the knowledge of God? Why should it not rather be a help and a means by which one might be better able to arrive at the truth? It is no evil to have been truly educated, for education is the way to virtue, to virtue. But even the wise men among the Greeks would not rank amongst the number of the educated those who hold to erroneous teaching. On the other hand, who would not admit that it is a blessing to have studied the best teachings? But which teachings shall we call the best, except those which are true and which incite men to virtue? Moreover, mm. it is an excellent thing to be wise, but not merely to appear wise, as Celsus says. And it is a help, not a hindrance to the knowledge of God to have been educated, to have studied the best teachings, and to be wise. 
And it becomes us rather than Celsus to say, especially if it be known that he is an Epicurean. So that brings us to the end of that one. Interesting. Okay. Um, I like uh, just that. to say, I think I'd be, I was reading the wrong book. I was in book one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm All just right. busy trying to find it. But I, uh, I found it very interesting what he was saying nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you mean in book one or what I was talking about? And what you're talking okay. about. Yeah, totally. No, it was great because, I mean, you know, it's almost like dealing with uh, perhaps a sort of anti-intellectualism um, that mm-hmm. got pinned onto Christianity for some reason. And um, and you're obviously, you have Origen, the, uh, the uh, you know, intellectual par excellence who, who's, who's uh, also a leader in the church and and uh, coming up with this theology, and you know, he's 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 not even wor- wanting to entertain the thought that any of those things stand. Um, and, and he makes a great case. I mean, he's just like, listen, you know, we we're all about good education and being blessed. We're just not about faking it, you know. Yes. And um, and we're not about the. I think in modern <clears throat> terms, it would be like, you know, fine, give us the books. We're just not besotted with the idolatry of of education, you know. Yep. And uh, Origen's also well known for supporting or believing that philosophy does have truth in it. That's true. The handmaiden. Although, issue, although yeah. Christianity is the greatest truth. Yes. That, you know, you don't despise the other truths found in the philosophers. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you probably had too high a view of the philosophies. I think but, so. Uh, <laughs> sort of a pre-Aquinas in that way. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. there is a there is a, a positive view of common grace, at least, which yes. we can resonate with there. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah, no, so that's a, that's a good opener. What was going on in chapter one while we're at it, or book one? Oh, I, was, uh, I said earlier that uh, he was just talking about how the prophecies of the Old Testament were oh, the right. greatest yeah, yeah, argument for Jesus Christ. I so, thought that was still yeah, coming. I thought, I thought that was what the emphasis was. I was like, oh, oh right. I would choice. have actually liked to, to read that. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I, I actually do remember covering that at some other point. So um, I don't think we do cover that. I'm just having a quick squiz through the rest of these. Um, no. All right. So that's good to know that that's in book one, though, if anyone did want to check that out. Book one, get, chapter 51 would be a great place just yeah. to see because he talks about Bethlehem and all these other things. Is that super helpful, you know, to see that? Yeah. yeah. All right. Good. Well, anyways, um, cool. so the next one is uh, chapter, chapter 50, 50. In, in book three. <clears throat> and that's Roman uh, numeral L for those who have the Roman numerals like me. My goodness. All right. All right. <laughs> But let us see what those statements of his are, which follow next in these words. Nay, we see indeed that even those individuals who in the marketplaces perform the most disgraceful tricks and who gather crowds around them would never approach an assembly of wise men nor dare to exhibit their arts among them. But wherever they see young men and a mob of slaves and a gathering of unintelligent persons, thither they thrust themselves in and show themselves off. Observe now how he slanders us in these words, comparing us to those who in the marketplaces perform the most disreputable tricks and gather crowds around them. What disreputable tricks, pray, do we perform? Or what is there in our conduct that resembles theirs, seeing that by means of readings and explanations of the things read, we lead men to the worship of the God of the universe and to the cognate virtues and turn them away from contemning deity and from all things contrary to right reason? Philosophers verily would wish to collect together such hearers of their discourses as exhort men to virtue, a practice which certain of the cynics especially have followed, who converse publicly with those whom they happen to meet, 
Will they maintain then that these who do not gather together persons who are considered to have been educated, but who invite and assemble heroes from the public street, resemble those who in the marketplaces perform the most disreputable tricks and gather, and gather crowds around them? Neither Celsus, however, nor anyone who holds the same opinions will blame those who agreeably to what they regard as a feeling of philanthropy address their arguments to the ignorant populace. Mm. So I guess what he's picking up on in that chapter is the fact that uh, uneducated folk are attracted to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so because uneducated folk are often uh, you know, diddled by performers in the marketplace, mm-hmm. therefore Christians must be diddling the unpopulated people. Right, right. Or they have been diddled yes. to to have been brought <laughs> into the kingdom, so to speak. Yeah, and he's going, yeah. uh, no, that's not entirely true. That's not how it works. We don't... We don't, uh, you know. I love the I love the line. Um, what disreputable tricks, pray, do we perform? <laughs> it's just like, yes. yeah, uh, point them out because really it's an open, you know. I love that angle too because it's it's sort of the anti gnostic thing that um, that um, I suppose you'd you'd sort of want to pin Origin with, you know, you'd want to sort of put him in that semi gnostic category, but uh, yeah. it's the very opposite happening here. Where he's saying, you know, it's all out in the open. You know, here we have these texts. We're explaining them clearly, uh, you know, to anyone that would listen. And um, you know, we're confident that we can take the best of them. Um, mm. and, and so, if it's true that that you know, a lot of uh, people who have great need have come to Christ, it's not it, that doesn't necessitate that that's the end of it in terms of um, you know, it all puts us on on par with those uh, tricksters out there. Yes, yeah. I found it interesting that he spoke about how uh, <clears throat> attracting men to the cognate virtues. Mm. Um, so by this time, the Epicurean philosophy had been discredited as being hedonistic, right? And he he pins Celsus as a as an Epicurean, right? And so it's almost like he's trying to heap him in with those people that have already been seen to be those who've thrown off virtue, whereas all the mm. good philosophers endorse virtue. Mm. And Christianity is one of those good philosophies, mm, which right. uh, has a morality, which gives a, a, a it has an epistemology, which which grounds morality. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, he's just sort of digging into that philosophical side of things there as well. Mm. Hearing you talk like that, it almost reminds me of something that we might argue today in terms of just a consistent and coherent worldview. You know, uh, we have yeah. the basis for understanding you know, right and wrong and logic and good and evil and whatnot. And, um, and therefore, you know, Christianity is presented as a, as a, as a coherent worldview. And in that sense, philosophy, um, of course, not, that's not the end of it, but you know, you can almost see something similar going on, uh, for him. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's a just, battle of philosophy. Just, you, yeah. Yeah. You just reminded me of Herman Bavink. Hmm. So Herman Bavink used to speak of a world and life view. Yes. So worldview exactly. would be epistemology and ontology. And life view would be your ethic, which flows out of that. Yes. And so, yes. yeah. And that's that's what he's saying, essentially, right? So, um, you know, these other things, you know, you'll have these uh, this marketplace of ideas crowding the market, so to speak, with these um, these uh, versions of of how to how to live. And, um, you know, when pushed, they are discredited and only Christianity stands. So similar, similar way of arguing, ultimately. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Good. All right. So next, um, next chapter. 51. 51. And if they are not to be blamed for doing this, let us see whether Christians do not exhort multitudes to the practice of virtue in a greater and better degree than they. 
For philosophers who converse in public do not pick and choose their hearers, but anyone who wishes stands and listens. The Christians, however, so far as possible, test previously the souls of those who wish to become their hearers. Having previously instructed them in private, they introduce them into the community when they appear to have sufficiently demonstrated their desire for a virtuous life, then and not before. They privately form one class for beginners who are receiving admission, but they have not yet obtained the mark of complete purification, and another class for those who have manifested to the best of their ability their intention to desire nothing that is not uh, approved by Christians. With the latter, certain persons are appointed to make inquiries about the lives and behavior of those who join them in order to prevent those who commit acts of infamy from coming into their public assembly, while those of a different character they receive wholeheartedly in order to make them better day by day. This is how they deal with those who are sinners, and especially with those who lead dissolute lives. Uh, Dissolute? Dissolute? Dissolute, yeah. Dissolute lives, uh, whom they uh, exclude from their company, although according to Celsus, they resemble those who in the marketplaces perform the most shameful tricks. Now, the venerable school of the Pythagoreans used to erect cenotaphs to those who had apostatized from the system of philosophy, treating them as dead. But the Christians lament as dead those who have been vanquished by licentiousness or any other sin because they are lost and dead to God. And if they give evidence of an appropriate change, they are afterwards received back as though risen from the dead at some future time and after a greater interval than in the case of those first seeking admission. But those who lapsed and fell after professing the gospel are not placed in any office or post of rank in the church of God. Mm. Cool. So that's obviously oh, back to the the um, thing we spoke about last time, right? Um, yeah. Donatus and all of that. Yeah, and so I mean, I know that Celsus believed that Christianity was it's, it was a sign of moral decline. Where you know, because Celsus was a conservative, mm. he would have been right wing, as it were, in yes. terms of morality, and right. he felt that Christianity, as it erodes public religion, would erode public virtue. And so right. here, Origen is is defending how Christians are upholding virtue by the the strict. Uh, um, standards of membership, mm, you know, mm. and uh, one of the things that uh, Celsus criticized Christianity for was the fact that sinners became Christians. Right, right. But, but here, Origen is showing how sinners are reformed, how they're saved out of that life, yes. and how they are monitored in that life, and how they're excluded if they turn away from that life. Mm. Uh, just to show that we take virtue seriously, right, as part of the Christian life. Right, man. All of that's still. Yeah. It's still quite relevant, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's certain. It is. Yeah. I mean, we, we face a lot of charges of Christian hypocrisy, don't we? Totally. And I think and that's the, one well, of the big things, yeah. Yeah, yeah one of the, we would just turn around and say, yes, it is hypocritical because the Bible says this is how we ought to live. Mm-hmm. And any faithful local church that is practicing church discipline, that is preaching sanctification, that is, um, you know, holding their membership to account what the Bible says, um, those are the ones who are walking in accordance with the truth. But those who claim to be Christians, who have their fire insurance, who are walking after the passions of their flesh, yes, we agree. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they are Christian hypocrites. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yep, yeah, got to hold. I mean, there's the classic church discipline as a witness for, a witness toward the unbeliever, you know, necessary yeah. still as it was then. Um, what's interesting to me as well is just the window that you get into the way that they did things um, at this mm-hmm. point. You know, it's very, very 
sort of orderly and, um, you know, they've obviously got their system going. Um, <laughs> you know, it just makes me feel I, like... I wonder, I wonder what it means there about having not yet obtained the mark of complete purification. Uh, I, I, my thought was that would be baptism. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, and, it's almost um, like, like uh, <clears throat> clean up before you come to Christ and then get baptized. So there's a... Yeah, which would make sense are. in their sort of way of processing at that point, you yeah. know, from everything I know about yeah. their view of uh, baptism. You know, so we're it, seeing the separation between baptism and membership through this process. Yes, true. Yeah. Yeah, and and just baptism itself becoming something other than uh, that which w it was meant to be. So, you know, it was never meant to necessarily mark your complete purification. Um, <laughs> but maybe something else is in I view, though. That. Yeah, not sure. Is that <laughs> Siri talking to you? That's Siri. It doesn't stop talking to me. I can't <laughs> help it. Oh, boy. The worst is when I'm preaching. And uh, my iPad speaks back to me. <laughs> or uh, I set other people's Siri off. I don't know. I've got that yeah. voice that just Siri can't can't resist, you know. Um, yeah, you should just tell Siri that woman must learn in, in silence. <laughs> exactly. Oh, boy. We should try that. Hang on one second. One second. Hey, Siri. I'm here. You know, woman should not preach at church. Answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Um, <laughs> women are to remain silent. <laughs> <laughs> Good, Siri. That is amazing. They obviously coded that in there. Incredible. Uh, wow. Um, okay. So um, that's it, man. Did we cover the whole thing? That's it. Yeah, it was just those three chapters. Very short. Beautiful. Short and sweet. Um, mm. Yeah, great, great little um, – makes me, it makes me want to read more, i got to say. I mean, that was, that was pretty um, – you could see how that would have substance to it. Um, and it gets me wondering, yeah. like, dude, has, has Origin got a bad rap? I mean, is he just – did he not get fair treatment? That would be crazy. Um, so he did have a lot of public critics, and so the whole thing of him castrating himself was from one of his critics, and the whole thing of him believing Satan would one day be saved was also from his critics. So mm. there was an element of bad rap, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's But worth... I think that uh, they did also test his teachings against the scriptures, and they were found wanting. Okay, so just a little bit speculative and too um, just out there at, at certain yeah. points. Is I mean, he, he did he, he did go too far in mixing philosophy with theology. Right, so, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I think that's the Achilles heel right there. Um, yeah. But uh, as you say, you know, he's found his way into Athanasius and influenced in those ways, and you know, so so uh, the uh, the notion of eternally begotten, mm. we have Origen to thank for that. So Athanasius is one of his students. Borrowed yeah. very strongly from some of the concepts that Origen was putting forward. You know, that and I, I just, I don't know, you know, just as someone who made it through those those tortures, you know, and, yeah. and clearly loved the Lord. You know, I was having a conversation with my brother uh, earlier, and uh, he was just saying, under what circumstance, or what was the question exactly? I mean, how I, we were just thinking about, like, you know, someone who is all-out Roman Catholic right now, 
And we were just saying, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're just really thankful. Oh, that's it. It came from uh, one of the podcasts we had listened to recently, uh, Jordan Cooper, who was just talking about Roman Catholicism and and how he would say, yep, you you know, just an unequivocal yes to uh, those in the Catholic Church. They are saved. We would take a more yes, no, maybe depends, you know. And yeah. um, and but but the bottom line is, I was just thinking, you know, I'm just very, very thankful that we are saved because the point that Jordan made was just that we're saved by Christ, not our understanding. And uh, amen to that. And, you know, the other thing is just that you, you I mean, when you think about these guys in church history, I, I just couldn't even imagine. I didn't even know anyone that is as hardcore as Origin. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> it's just it. And I know that doesn't get you off the hook in terms of heresy, but it's just it means it's worth you can't just shut the guy down as if you've got the monopoly, you know. And um, um, I mean, when he he was tortured for the faith, he's had this big league influence. Uh, obviously, totally dedicated. Uh, what was the story with his like? And his dad wanted to get his mom had to hide his clothes away or something because otherwise he would have. Oh yes, his father died in a persecution. Yeah. And uh, his he wanted to join his father, right, so his mother had to hide his clothes because he refused to go outside naked. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> uh, that's what do you say to that? You know, it's just in, it's just amazing. So, anyways, yeah. there we go. I present to you Origin, ladies and gentlemen. It's mm, good. Good. All right. Thanks, Nick, Professor. Cool. Appreciate it. I feel like I've learned a lot today. <laughs> And uh, uh, you know, didn't didn't um, Origin say um, there's no salvation outside of the church? No, it was Cyprian. All right. Well, anyways, go to church. <laughs> go to church. <laughs> That's my best my best shot. Don't. It was good. I liked it. Thanks. I'm gonna use that one. All right. Don't don't be listening to this podcast on Sundays. Go to church. We'll see you on the flip side. <laughs> Cheers.